Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. It was going to be a Christmas special, but I've had a word with the top brass and it's had to be cancelled because that's what we do. We've decided we're putting Mental Health Gaming into Tier 4 and that's it. Christmas is cancelled here because because you can't go outside. People are thinking it's all cancelled and now Christmas is cancelled. So send all the toys back, send the turkey back if you've got a turkey. And, well, some people believe the Muslims have won. How are you doing, Stu? Yeah, not bad. It's not a proper cancellation unless you cancel last minute, is it? So, yeah, I think we'll probably move between Tier 4 to tier, at least Tier 6 during the duration of this podcast, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I think we can do that. I think I think we can manage that. Before we get into the gaming stuff and everything... The whole thing's a mess, isn't it? <laughs> the whole yep. thing's a complete and utter mess. Yes, it is. <laughs> and there's not really anything you can do or say about it at the moment. It's just, it's right in the middle of the craziness as we're recording on the 22nd. So, yeah, bananas. Yeah. And it's one of those things I, I kind of, I wanted to shake people and go, stop overreacting. Christmas is not cancelled. You can still celebrate. You just can't celebrate it in a way that you had done previously. And I'm sorry if you thought that it was going to be just a normal end-of-year celebration, then, yeah, I think you're a bit naive. Um, However, I don't blame the people for thinking that because the powers that be allowed us to believe that that was going to be the case. They told us that was going to be the case and they didn't act properly. So, again, I don't blame the people, but I kind of want to shake people and go... Stop believing everything the government's telling you. Um, and it's kind of this weird, still in this weird thing where I want to say the government don't know what they're doing. They can't be trusted. But by the way, when they do dish out the actual sensible advice, pick that out and listen to that yeah. as well. Yeah. But yeah. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Or Merry End of 2020. It's only going to get something next year yeah something is the right word i've got no idea what that thing is but you know i'm staying hopeful one thing that we have always got though we have video games and we're not going to do a what have you been playing um oh you can do a what you've been playing because i know you've been playing something slightly christmasy but i'm going to cancel you from talking about that well yeah no, i'm not um but we're, <laughs> we're going to talk more about just general games throughout the year and our feelings on them as a kind of end of year Christmas special. We'll see how it goes. So I'll hand over to you, Stu, for the first batch, shall we say. Cool, yeah. So I can't remember what came out at the beginning of the year because it's been so long. The... It was about 18 years ago, wasn't it, yeah, the start of this year? So There's some weird time compression thing going on and it feels like it's been the, the 25% of my life has been spent in 2020. So, but I do remember obviously one of the big ones just coming before all the kickoff was Animal Crossing, and you were a huge fan of that. And it's something that's not really on my radar, but by goodness, you, there's no way you could miss it. You know, it was, it's one of those that it actually absolutely permeates all culture because even grown ups who've got no idea about games know about Animal Crossing. Even if they, even if they don't have kids, but especially if they have got kids, so that was a massive one, and I think a lot of people credit it for helping them get through the start of UK lockdown. Um, but I know it was one of the ones you played a lot of when it first came out. Yeah, yeah, it's. I, I would say of 
any release this year. It's not the best game to come out this year, but I honestly think it is probably the outright most important game to come out this year because it gave when we was actually told we had to stay indoors, we had to just like just leave the outside world. It was a way to connect and to to escape and almost the mundane nature of doing tasks daily helped get us through it was something that okay i can checkpoint my life on a daily basis based on what i need to do in animal crossing and when i look back at it now but i don't play it anymore because i look the idea of going back into it and weeding and getting back into a routine absolutely terrifies me but at the time i've put hours in per day and it just took over. And yeah, it, it will probably be go down as one of the most important releasing, games released of any time because of what it actually meant at the time as well. Um, but yeah, people now know what Animal Crossing is. It's, it's going to be in the public consciousness. And it probably saved a lot of families yeah, because it gave people something to focus on um away you know it allowed me i know from my my experience it allowed me to escape when the kids were getting stressy and what's going on and they didn't understand it all and there was moments where we'd have arguments and stuff like that it was a way for me to escape for half an hour and just completely lose myself and yeah i could go on for a couple of hours about animal crossing and what it meant but just yeah it was it was just such an important game and it hit at just the right time yeah, and I think those kind of games, they only really come into their own if... Well, they only games only create the world that you want to stay in perpetually if you're forced to work in them. Like, you're doing work tasks in a game. <laughs> um, it, so it, it kind of works from that perspective because it has that hook of having to go back every single time. And it's like, oh God, got to go to work on my, on my Nintendo Switch again. But... I think a lot of people didn't care because it was nice to have a work that was going to be completely unrelated to what was going on around you in the world. So, yeah, uh, not my kind of game, but definitely, like you say, a really, really important one. Yeah, um, and I get, I will get to discover it all over again because we've bought it for my daughter for Christmas um, and because she's got her own Switch now, so she gets to start an island all over again. And that part of it, I've just got my son can help her with that because that bit I can't be asked with. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say is what Nintendo actually need to add into that game is just complete sandbox mode, um, complete offline sandbox mode where you can just do what you want um, just so you can allow your kids to potter around a bit because she doesn't need to do the gamification stuff. She just wants to potter around. Um, yeah. But we've got to do about a month's worth of game before she can do that, which is ridiculous, but eh, it's Nintendo, so what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's uh, another one that I, I don't think either of us have played, but I see as quite an important one in, in several weird ways, and that's Dreams for the PS4. Mm-hmm. So Media Molecule, obviously, you know, with their uh, Little Big Planet series, have made these games that are now similar to what uh, Super Mario Maker is of making your own game yourself by building the levels and they remind me almost exactly even though they've come on so far they remind me of those even going back to the Spectrum but definitely like the Amiga of create your own RPG create your own shoot 'em up type games in that very little 
of any importance seems to come from them. And I'm not sure what it is, really, because um, there seems to be good stuff. But, you know, is it the curation? Is it because there's too much content and you can't filter it properly? Or is the content not up to scratch? Or is it just not what the public wants? Or are the tools too poor? Is it a little bit from each of those? What What's your perspective on them? So we ended up getting Dreams um, back in, I want to say... But late July, I think we picked it up. Okay. Um, someone was selling it and got it quite cheap. And I must have spent half hour with it personally. Um, and I realised I'm not good enough for these sort of things. But yeah, it's it's a weird one. They remind me of um, when I used to go to the library and get books that would have like, you could make games in basic. Um, but it'd have books with the code in it and what you needed to do. Um, and then the Net Eurosa games, where I think they're wonderful little tech demos of what's possible now. Yeah. But uh, there's no substance to them at all. No substance. But I think what they do do is they drive forward the next generation of game developers and game makers. Uh, but what Dreams does better than any of them is it allows people to actually break their creativity boxes because when you look at some of the stuff that's come out, I mean, we're all being pressed by the the remake of Wipeout that was done in it. I say remake, but the, the homage to Wipeout that was done in it was absolutely spectacular, but just wasn't as good as Wipeout, obviously. Um, they're, they're all very good, but they're just copycat. Anyone can do those. As, as impressive as they are, and I'm not taking away, but that's just copycat stuff. Um, but you've seen some other sort of like people have made like visuals in them that are like photorealistic, but built using the tools. That stuff really impresses me because actually if people can make photorealistic areas using the tools within Dreams, what could they actually do if they're given the proper tools in a proper engine? Um, the problem with Dreams is it will never be a proper game development engine. And I would like to have seen that developed in a way that those games weren't just playable within Dreams. They was actually produced and put out there as free little demos and snippets for people to play um, as and when. Give it a go. Or a curated list gets put out there. But as yeah, the problem with it, as good as it is, it wasn't curated and you had to go through a whole load of crap. I was able to upload a block that we put up just because you had to do it for a tutorial. And there's loads of levels that you have to wade through that are just people just gone, I've just dumped this fin here or I've drawn a penis or, or whatever. All that stuff is there before you get to the good stuff. But <clears throat> I will always maintain these sort of experiences, whilst not for me because I'm not creative or talented enough, will allow somebody to find that talent they didn't know they had. And then hopefully they make the next big, impressive game. Yeah, I think that's a dream, <laughs> and it's it's a good one. I I would have liked to have seen Sony give it away free with the PS Five. I think that might have been a bit of a game changer um, for that. But you know, commerce always keeps us away from the from the ideal solution, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, they'll give it it's away because a... it's obviously PlayStation Five is going to be Sony's PlayStation Three arrogant Sony. So PlayStation 6 is where we'll get the Ultimate Dreams package released for nothing with an amazing engine that allows people to share. And so that's where good guy Sony will come back for PlayStation 6 if the world still exists. So, we like, into March, 
like everything came out in March until everything starts coming out, you know, near Christmas. And there were some real biggies like Doom Eternal, Half-Life Alex, mm. Paper Beast, which is my game of the year and probably end up talking about more towards the end of the year. But talking of, you know, out of those ones that had a big impact, Doom Eternal is one. <laughs> I don't know what the sales figures are like. I'm, I think they're probably pretty good. But the gamer reaction was very, very mixed, it's wasn't Doom it? Eternal, it's kind of like a damp squib um, in terms of the impact it had because no one was overly angry about it, but no one was overly enamoured about it. And I mean, eh, it's not it's not what I want from Doom, but it's okay, I suppose. And it's... Other people who went, um, oh, I like that it's different, but uh, yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of, that was just the, like, if, if, if there's a sound to describe Doom Eternal and the reaction, it's just, eh. That's definitely true. Definitely true. <laughs> hey, and it's because it's such a weird game. Even if it came out without the Doom branding and from a different studio, it would be one of those that only a few people cottoned on to. Because, you know, as I said when I started playing it, um, it completely alienates people early on by putting you in a game that needs you to be able to do certain technical things but not giving you the tools to do them. So it kind of goes, right, here's a great big room of enemies and uh, let me show you how doing the glory kills is only 15% of what you need to do in this game now. Um, let me show you getting battered because you're not playing it right. And, uh, and then you like go in well, I'm not playing it right because you're not letting me play it right. And then it like introduces the weapons far too slowly and the tools and techniques. And then when it finally does it and go, aha, now you can actually do what you're supposed to do two hours and a half into the game, you go, ah, right, it's actually a really good game. So it really hobbles itself from the off. But if, if you can get past that initial trouble with it, um, then do do it because it's really good and it, to be fair to it, it they were always like that like I said when we talked about it again before that Doom 2 was basically a, a Doom 1 you know DLC pack Doom 3 was a completely different game Doom what ended up being Doom 4 but you know Doom Reboot Doom yeah <laughs> a completely different game more like Quake than Doom and then Doom Eternal, again, different again. So they've got previous, you know what I mean? It's like, this is this is the way they are. They they like doing tech demos and they like changing things up. So it's surprising that people were surprised in a way. But uh, he'd, yeah. he'd know 100% that if Doom Eternal isn't what people want, all they need to do is reboot Doom again or, or you know, just go back to the well of Doom and Doom. Um, and do that again, and it will sell like hot takes, and I'll get people on board. Um, what I will say about Doom Eternal is all the gubbins around um, level exploration did not like that, did not like that. But the actual, when it got down to those action set pieces, where you had actually had the arenas and you were shooting everything to buggery, that is where it shone. That is where Doom is really good, and I enjoyed that. But the traversal. And bits and almost the puzzle solving didn't need that yeah Um, but what doom eternal does you mentioned about that even if it was under a different ip it was still a game yeah you're right i mean i've always stated that if you took the tomb raider 
reboot and you had um, Emily McCaver as the main protagonist. Good name. And you took you took Splinter Cell, you had Dave Spyman as the main protagonist. Another good name. You're killing um, this. Oh, no. Keep going. Oh, no. Um, you would have had two brand new IPs that everyone was raving about. That people have got. Oh, do you know what? This is so good. You can tell it's an homage to the original Tomb Raider. But oh, what a character um, Emily is, and oh, you know, Dave, he, he's absolutely brilliant. You know, he's not Sam Fisher, but oh, there's hints of Sam Fisher in there, and people would have loved it. The issue you've got is people are too scared. It's like they're too like, oh, we need to use the recognised name rather than go for new IP, and they're too scared to do it. And those, are, but Doom Eternal. If that had just been called, oh, this is a bit scary, isn't it? Then it still would have been a game that made me go, and it would have disappeared without a trace. The only reason it got any traction is because of the name Doom and its id software behind it, uh, which is a shame um, because there are, I say, there are parts in it where if they'd have stripped down the storytelling or removed the storytelling altogether, cut down the traversal parts of the game. And just release it as a series of arenas that you go through with no story. It doesn't need story. It's just is an arena, which is what the original Doom was, by the way, was it, it kind of went, here's a level, off you go. Here's another level, off you go. If it had done that for Doom Eternal, more of the same, then I think we'd have had an absolute possible game of the year contender on our hands. But as it is, eh. uh, Yeah, I think arguably, and we won't stay on this forever, but just briefly, arguably... Doom 2016 is the best Doom game. Um, I, mm. People love Doom, and it was so influential. But I think probably oh, half of its market may even have just bought it on the hype and to show off what their PC could do, no matter how good a game it is. And I'm thinking of like you know how Doom Eternal is a bit like Metroid Prime, in that it's got this massive influence in the gaming world. But how many Metroid Prime copies are there? Not many. You know, yeah. it, it gameplay-wise, people do not imitate it because it's too difficult to get right, and and a lot of people don't like platforming in first-person perspective. You know, otherwise we'd be having tons of uh, that rabbit game on the PS One. Oh God, it's gonna be a ribbon. No, the the one in first person. Oh, brought it up and then forgot what it's called, and it had a sequel. It was a Japanese game. It was one of the first launch titles. Ah, oh, you know. First person rabbit game. Yeah. Oh, I'll look it up. What on earth is in your egg <laughs> yeah. well, Next time you're going off on one, I'll look it up on, on my phone. I'm going to uh, stay quiet now uh, for the rest of the episode. <laughs> That's a lie. You know it. But <laughs> oh, God. There'll be people now listening to this screaming at us, screaming at me for not knowing what it is. Anyway, so no. So yeah, it's too technical. It's not as approachable and it doesn't reach as wide enough a market. But. Anyway, that's well enough on Doom Eternal. Just want to shoot <laughs> shit, yeah. That's, that's all it is. I just yeah. want to shoot things in the face. When it allows you to do that, that's when it's at yep. its best. Boiling it down to the essentials, definitely. I'm going to pick up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt because, you know, I've not do. spoke for a while. <laughs> um, that joke will just go. That's, that's a running joke every episode, really, isn't it, that I don't get a word in. A little bit. Um, but I'm going to, from the absolute craziness and outright, you know, extremeness of um, Doom, uh, one of the games that really stood out to me, and again, was at the right time, was Lonely Mountains Downhill, which is both brutally hard 
I hate this and you may slap me, edit this out, call me whatever, but it's the Dark Souls of mountain biking games. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I know, I know. But it's both brutally hard but ultimately relaxing at the same time. And I can't convey just how that comes together so well. You know, when I played like Meat Boy, other games that like even Dark Souls, where you get to a point and you get frustrated, you're going, oh my God, and it's just so too much tension. And I'm really annoyed that I can't do this bit, but I'm going to have to go. This has got that where you're failing like maybe 50, 60 times in a row on a bit. And then, but at the same time, it's so serene that you just don't care. You're like really, you end up just like spacing out. I'd imagine that's what it's like when you take certain hallucinogenic, like, or relaxation drugs um, to a degree. You just like, you kind of do it and you're like, wow, this is just so good. You know, I've failed again. Never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll go again. There's no soundtrack, it's all ambient sounds. And it's almost like the cardinal sin to not have a musical soundtrack in a game could almost be the cardinal sin at times, but it works perfectly here. Yeah. And it's like the idea, it's just so simple. You've got a mountain bike, you're at the top of a mountain, you need to get to the bottom of the mountain. There's a path set out for you, but you don't have to take that path. You've got time challenges, you've got fail challenges, and then if you really want to test yourself, can you get down there in a certain time without falling off your bike even once without any checkpoints as another option? And it's, yeah, it's absolutely just lovely. And I've, I've played it on Xbox. It came out last year on the Xbox. It got a PC release and a Switch release this year. And it's had DLC. So it's had an, another mountain added to it. The game's still supported and... It's one of those weird games where when I'm looking at my game of the year list, I kind of forget about it. But then I remember it and just go, oh, my God, it was as close to perfection as a game in a genre can get. Um, and I think it will, you know, spawn a whole bunch of copycat games down the line where more and more people just realise how impressive or how important that game is. And I know it's one that not everyone would have played or even heard of, but yeah, I, I will give that a signal booster whenever I get the chance because it is beautiful. A beautifully, beautifully difficult game. They seem to be your home. They're, they're, they're the places where you live, those games. They're really brutally tough, but at the same time, they put you in the zone. And they yeah. seem to be like where you absolutely find your favourites. Games noticed. I'm crap at, essentially, <laughs> as well. well. I don't think that's very fair. Come on, you're, you seem to do pretty well at them. Tetris, particularly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, but there's people better than me at Tetris. There's always somebody <laughs> better than you. Always somebody yeah, no, better. But when you, but when you know the people that are better than you, that's the frustrating thing. Oh, yeah, and it's I've the one thing that online's ruined that you know... Uh, I used to be the best Tetris player. That ever lived because I couldn't compare to anyone in real life, and then you realize you're not. And it's fine when they're like in the far flung, like they're in America or Japan, but when you technically know them and they're better than you, that's oh, oh, that's, yeah. that's a tough one to it, take. It does hurt, uh, but yeah, Lo Lonely Mountains Downhill, it is, it's, it's not the thing is, like, the Lonely Mountain, it's not difficult, the game's not difficult, the controls really well. Low poly, by the way, is absolutely beautiful. Uh, if you've got indie, indie, indie bingo out, 
Um, it ticks, I would say, a good six or seven of the boxes in there. Um, nice. The only thing it needs is someone to introduce some card deck building mechanics to it. Oh, um, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> I'll do it, and then you'll regret it. <laughs> tell you. Um, but yeah, a- a- absolutely. And you're right. These are the games I, I live for. This is for another episode. We'll- I'll talk about the different again why I love the indie game market compared to the AAA market, and what recent you know recent developments have shown why the indie the indie game market is so important at the moment um because it's keeping the gaming games propped up it's giving them some kind of legitimacy where it's falling all around them where at the top um but yeah little games like this and again i think half a decade ago 10 years ago lonely mountains downhill couldn't exist it would not exist because it just wouldn't grab enough of an audience but now because of Steam, digital storefronts, uh, because of word of mouth, because of the way like they're positioned on things like the eShop, they've got an audience and they can get enough to be developed further. And yeah, the more we see of these, the better. And I can't, yeah. I can't wait. Excellent. No, I agree. But um, yeah, I looked up that game. It was Jumping Flash. Jumping Flash. Oh, That's yes, yes. I do. You, you're not crazy. I do remember it. <laughs> um. So the next sort of big release of of the year after those ones was Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was gigantic. Okay, was that this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's completely bananas. Yeah. And it's, it's one... Well, I don't know if you played the demo. I've played the demo, but I don't think either of us have bought the game because it just... Oh, really... I haven't even played the demo. Right, yeah. No, it just... It just didn't appeal to me. It just didn't appeal to me at all. It's not my kind of game. No. It, it, I would play it, but I just don't. I haven't got the time to settle down to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, so it's good that they, it's in the Unreal Engine, so that they can make a sequel, like quite comparatively quickly, hopefully. And I think that's going to be a recurring theme because the uh, obviously Cyberpunk Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is garbage on a technical level uh, in a brand new engine uh, so using something that pre-exists to make a good product is starting to look like the future for AAA development don't know if you think the same yeah no I, I the middleware engines that's what it's called isn't it middleware engines your yeah. unreals and stuff like yeah. that um, I remember when they used to be a bit of a a stick to beat a AAA developer with now but now I think you've got a level of trust when it comes with that. I actually, when you hear a company go, oh, we've built our own engine, part of me goes, oh, no. Have you? Yeah. Why yeah. have you announced the release date? If you've built your own engine, just just, just, just build it first. And then... Yeah. Basically, unless you're like, you're, you're id, or you're Guerrilla Games with the Decimer engine that what's called Horizon Zero Dawn, Dawn runs on mm. uh, and also Death Stranding runs on um, yeah. then basically don't bother just pick up Unreal Engine and build it in that because you know unless you're id tech or you're decima you know you're not going to do it right <laughs> right so here, here's the thing here's the thing Horizon Zero Dawn I think is an absolutely wonderful game it's one of the last one of the last AAA games that I played and just absolutely fell in love with and the engine they built, they built for a reason, and it needed to be built, and it introduced a technology that has 
going to change how games are made in terms of what do you actually need to show, what do you actually need to load in, what do you actually need to show the player at any one time. And if anyone yeah. hasn't seen the no clip documentary about um, Horizon Zero Dawn, where they talk about how it only ever loads in the textures and the physics and everything for what's in your field of view at any one time with the rest of it, basically anything that you can't see is there, but in pure numbers and maths until you look at it. It's just, it blows my mind that they was able to do this. And let's say Hideo Kojima um, used it for Death Stranding. Um, and there was a reason that is now for me, I think when we get Unreal Engine 5 or seven, they'll be taking elements of that end of the decimal engine into Unreal Engine 5 or whatever they move forward for, because it's that important. Whereas CD Projekt Red, building an engine specifically for Cyberpunk, why did it need it? Why did it actually need that engine yeah. specifically built for it? I, I don't get it. I don't get what it brought to the table that wasn't already available in Unreal or something else. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. They probably should have built that from the ground up using existing engines. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And I, another thing on the back of that is, you know, and we'll use it as the launching platform to talk about Last of Us 2 as well, is that I'm also seeing that games are taking so long to develop that by the time they come out, they've been superseded already. And I think that a lot of people, I haven't played it, but a lot of people felt Last of Us 2 felt old-fashioned because you'd had like several iterations of stuff like um, Assassin's Creed, which takes a long time to actually introduce, as I understand it, anything new. <laughs> but there are so many iterations, it's yearly basically, that they rattle through ideas and concepts very quickly. And with Last of Us 2 being six years or whatever in development, maybe more. Oh, no, it was much more than that, wasn't it? Um, was no, it probably not, no. No, wasn't it 2013 on the PS3? The first one came out in 2013. I don't think that actually started developing until about 2015, the second yeah. one. Yeah. I might be wrong, so don't, don't hold up. I'm pretty sure it started in 2015. Yeah. So when you start something like that and it takes so long, you have, you know, this issue of uh, you know you, you're treading paths that people have already in the interim have managed to uh, to create and I think that look at Last Guardian well yes yeah exactly and I was thinking also of like um, what's it called uh, oh god you see today's the day uh, just to interject on that I had to get up at half five to go and do the Christmas shopping so I'm a little Oof. bit kind of a little bit spacey getting by on you've been on the run I've been, yeah, I wish. Now I've been on the caffeine, so I'm all getting a bit jittery now as well. Um, <laughs> as soon as you said, I've been on the. Ca oh wait, where's he going with this? The C's coming out. Where's he going? Which C word is it going to be? Uh, no, I've I've um, I've remembered it's infamous. So, so like infamous came out, and it was like, oh yeah, yeah, good, but you know, missing stuff, and then the kind of DLC Second Son came out and everyone was like yeah they, yeah, that's brilliant and Uncharted 4 again it was like oh, it doesn't bring much to the table and then the what was it called the the basically the small game from that that doesn't have Drake in it um, came out afterwards oh with the yeah I Lost haven't Light. played that one yet yeah something like that yeah. something oh yeah it's not Lost Light I, which apparently I want to play it because apparently it is very good very good and comparatively short yes 
so not bloated. So this is what I want. If you're yeah. making a sorry, if you're making a game that's pretty much a movie experience within a game, less hours is a good thing. Just just saying. Yeah. If you want me to have a movie experience within a game, less hours is good. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the downsides to Rise of the Tomb Raider that I played. It was great, but it was it was too long. But yeah, yeah. I, I would have taken a series of shorter, cheaper, two-hour experiences with the story in that um, that blew me away every time, uh, which the new Hitman games try and do very well. Um, yeah. That would have been ideal for something like that. Anyway, I'm going off on two again. <laughs> I like Tomb Raider. But yeah, exactly. Um, but to go back to the quick development cycle and using existing engines... Resident Evil 3 came out in the same month as Final Fantasy 7 Remake and that used the that uses the Resident Evil engine that I can't remember the yeah. name of and um yeah the turnaround time on that was about a year I think in terms of I think development when you announce your remake and show a slice of your remake so early in the development cycle you then give your competitors, and if you go back, you know, Resident Evil is a competitor to Final Fantasy, different genres and that, but they're both aiming for AAA market. They want those sales. When you then show your competitors what you're trying to do, your competitors then go, right, how quickly can we get our version out? And you're left wanting. And you're right, with certain games where maybe the styles have been superseded because they've taken so long and, and things like that, that's one thing. But then you've even got to look at things like um, the Duke Nukem game that came out that took so long to come out, obviously Development Hell and all that, but took so long to come out that not only was the engine left behind and it was a poor game, the humour and... <laughs> Everything about it was so outdated. Yeah, it belonged with a Steptoe and Son in the annals of history that you don't really want to remember. Not Steptoe and Son as such. Who's the uh, the racist bugger? The Alf Garnet one. Oh, well, in called? sickness and in health, and and the other one. Yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of go, yeah. I get why people of the time found that funny, but Granddad, we call that racism now and sexism and homophobia and we, we don't do that anymore yeah. so let's uh, D- but doom came out and they could they tried to do no no it's um it's satirical and it wasn't <laughs> it, it wasn't satirical not yeah. doom sorry uh Duke Nukem. yeah no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and things move so quickly that mm. especially in games that somebody might have done it and it doesn't matter if they've done it badly if they've done it and it's been seen as a feature then when your game comes out it's already been done. It, it can't yeah. be a, a USP because it's already been somebody else's SP. Um, well, we've got Sk- Skate 4 is meant to be coming soon. But if you want your skate experience, you've got Skater XL and Session. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I'd love to see Skate 4, but that was at a time when nothing had really come out after Skate 3, um, which wasn't the best one. Skate 2 was the best one. But anyway, um, nothing had really come out since then. And it was like, I would have taken a skate for any day. It's like, I just want to go back into that world. I want to play a semi-realistic skateboarding game because it just works so well. Um, but now I'm not bothered because there's Session and Skater XL. Um, it's the same with racing games. Like Gran Turismo used to be the standout game. Like, I want Gran Turismo. That, that, that's, that's pushing the boundaries of what a racing game is um, on consoles. But now it takes so long between games 
that you've got a ton of falters, various different need for speeds, you know, that have all challenged, you know, you've got project cars, one, two, less than about three, the better, apparently. You've had them all. And now Gran Turismo is like, yeah, whatever. I'm sure it's good for the people who are fans of it, but yeah. is it really the big event it used to be? Yeah. No, because mm-hmm. they take so long and they announce it so early that it just gets superseded. It completely does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's more important to be first to market than to be the best in the market. So As long as you're first and not completely buggy to hell. Oh, here's a little tip. Here's a little tip. I, I was planning on do- I'm going to do a video on this. I will <laughs> talk about this um, at some point. But here's a little tip for the, um, the AAA publishers. Don't announce your games six years before they're ready. It's a little tip. Um, do what Nintendo do. It's the one thing Nintendo get right. They go, hey, hey, look, here's a game be out in a couple of months because we've been working on it in secret yeah. apart from metroid that they, they buggered that one up but there's a story behind that anyway but i would say nine out of ten times they go games announced out in three months and people go "Wow, three months of hype is brilliant yep three to six years of hype your game's never matching up never quite right it's true it's true uh, yeah uh just having a look through the list now and see if there's anything. See, we're into the summer now, and summer's traditionally terrible time for games. So let's talk about Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> that was September, but you know, by gum, it's got oh. a bigger impact than just yeah, you know, just coming out in September. How can you take a Marvel license, a, a, you know, a reason just to print money, and get it so wrong? How and was also getting praised for having Kamala Khan as a lead character. It had a, you know, yeah. a non-white male protagonist. It had, you know, a young LGBTQ Arabic protagonist, and it should have been revered as a game that broke boundaries at the time, and instead, it's a mess. They blew the license to print money. It's... It, it's insane, isn't it? You just can't help but laugh. The thing is, right, you're supposed to learn the story of the goose that laid the golden egg as a kid so that you take that into adulthood <laughs> and don't just go, oh, do you know what would be even better? <laughs> Cutting the goose open. And that's basically what they did. They went, yeah, we've got this great game that's you know, going to be a, a beat em up or a shoot em up type third-person action game, but we can make even more money if we turn it into a looter shooter like Destiny. And it's like, yeah, but you can't do that. You can't do that at the last minute. you know. And that's basically what they did. They saw those dollar signs and they just went absolutely bananas. And yeah, missed all the fundamentals completely. It's ridiculous. Do you remember when you used to have a game? And you'd have had a Marvel game, for example, and in, in the old days you'd play it and you'd unlock all the skins and everything like that, and that was fun to see all the fu- the funny skins and that you could get onto characters. Um, you, you'd have fun maybe dressing up Iron Man in like an Iron Buddy costume or something like that because you'd get a ridiculous unlock, and it was fun to unlock them. Now it's you grind or you pay money for it and behave, just behave, yeah, and then. We take what could be a really great story, extend, you know, use the, 
the, the other problem it's got, it didn't go far enough away. It, it distances itself from this Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like, no, it's its own universe. Okay, so we're almost going for the Marvel Gaming Universe. That's cool. But the, um, sorry, the original game design, character design, sorry, were too close to the, Mar the uh, cinema universe. You looked at Iron Man in that and went, well, yeah, you can see that's a bit marvel cinema tony stark but not quite so my brain can't quite process it and yeah. captain america that's a bit seven okay and we've gone for the the um the samuel jackson version of nick fury um and it's just like do you want to be part of the marvel cinematic universe or do you want to be your own thing yeah and, but we saw, we, we were given last year, I, I want to say last year, please tell me I'm right with this. We was given last year how you can take Marvel property and make your own thing out of it and make it spectacular in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's how you take a popular thing and do your own thing with it and make it special. Um, and that's what Marvel's Avengers could have done. They could have gone special with it and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. An absolute disaster. Not the biggest disaster of the year, but comfortably the second biggest disaster of the year. Do you reckon they celebrate that at the end? Like the team at Crystal Dynamics are there in the office, they're celebrating, going, well, we fucked up, but at least we're not this one. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. I, I reckon it's probably taken a tiny bit of heat off them. <laughs> just just because they're not covered by that shade. But they were, they've, got, they've got to sit there and, and go, how are we not the worst thing this year? What? What? How are we not the worst fitting games? I know, I know. It's all part of a, you know, a whole design ethos and a, a way to try and rid rid the customers of the, their cash by, you know, lying to them as much as possible. So they're probably kind no. of like, oh, God, yeah, well, I'm glad that Cyberpunk's just... No, 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 I'm sorry. The, the, the publishers don't outright lie to their potential consumers, CD Projekt Red, do they? They don't lie. Oh, no, that'd be crazy. No. Um, and you know what? Sean Murray, um, No Man's Sky, um, he got called out for lying. I still don't think he actually genuinely lied to deceive. I think he lied in this is what he wanted the game to be and just ended up down a bit of a, a path he couldn't get out of. He, I think he fell too deep into something and it all blew up in his face and he couldn't cope with it. I think I just went, yeah. oh. I'm just going to carry on with the lie because I don't know what else to do. Yeah, I think the um, the uh, the doctors call that uh, Peter Molyneux syndrome, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, ooh, I don't know if we'll go that far because Peter Molyneux, yeah, he's um in his own little world, but I think he's also, uh, yeah, he lies for gain. Um, I think he knows what he's doing at the same time. I still don't think Sean Murray knew exactly what was a lie and what wasn't at one point. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's a completely different thing. Um, well, I don't know if Peter, I, wanna... I don't know if Peter Molyneux's litigious, but I'd just like to say that Brad's opinions don't necessarily align with my own. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. But it's just, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. He's a pathological liar. <laughs> was Peter Molyneux? He's a he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's, I he's, he's about to say he's a friend guy. of mine. Then leave him alone. <laughs> he's my mate. I won't mind some of his money, but you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and his twenty-two cans in his cupboard, whatever. Yeah, yeah. weird company set up. God um, knows. 
So I'm going to, right, because we seem to be bemoaning the year, and there's been loads of great games this year. Yeah, but the, the, the crap ones are the ones that are fun to talk about. But yeah, go yeah, on. No. <laughs> go but on. I want to talk about one that is almost the complete and polar opposite of what AAA gaming is and marketing is. We spoke about how AAA games, they announced too far ahead. They promised too much. Um, we said Nintendo will give a, maybe like give you a few months to go have games coming out and then it comes out. But what about a game that comes out of absolute nowhere, goes, hey, we're announcing a game, by the way, it's out. And it's absolutely brilliant. And Mike Bithell of Thomas Was Alone fame, of Volume fame, and recently of John Wick's Hex. John Wick Hex, rather. He's not like John Wick's, he builds websites. But he, he released a game called The Solitaire Conspiracy, a, a, a short game an experimental game that he released that was basically an espionage thriller with full motion video that had a variant of solitaire in it to progress the story. And it was absolutely wonderful. It had just wonderful performances from, ah, oh, kind of funny, uh, Greg, 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 Greg. Oh, <laughs> so this is where ADHD does you, Greg. The Greg, Greg the name Greg, Greg. five times. <laughs> Greg, 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 um, the guy from Kind of Funny, and it's, but he was absolutely brilliant in it. I never thought he could put in a, but when I heard he was in, I thought, oh, this is going to be cheesy, but he puts in a wonderful performance. Um, Greg, oh, that's going to do me. Hopefully, it will come to me at some point. Well, but we know absolutely <laughs> wonderful game. We always call Greg. We got the name of the episode now. It's going to be Greg, 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 Greg. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah it's solitaire conspiracy absolutely brilliant and it came out and i think it took even before and these um, other developers by surprise by how well received it was and they've added extra modes to it they've supported it it was a cheap game and it's a joy to play and again i will continue to beat the indie drum it's uh, this is why indies are so good that you can release a game that no one expected, that if you was to try and announce that months in advance, wouldn't feel as good. Um, it's not perfect by the stretch of the imagination, but it got announced, came out, it was a decent price, it was short enough that you could get it done and move on to something else, but long enough you felt you got your value out of it, they've added to it, absolutely brilliant. Style, substance, the lot, it's all in there. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. uh, easily one of my... Um, collection of well, you know my top 10 games of the year um, absolutely superb out of nowhere awesome and there's been a lot like that so there's been you know lighting up our our screens like Mixalumia which you turned me on to and mm -hmm. that's that's a great game and um, that beta of Eastern Exorcist that I played just like a Soulsborne crossed with well it's kind of like Sekiro but in 2D I would say uh, but even yeah. more arcadey than that and that's in beta that's a really good game and Panzer Paladin which is the one that's NES styled mech slash platformer uh, loads of tons of stuff that just came out of nowhere that's been really excellent yeah and generally much better than the AAA equivalents what's really interesting I think most years you do get that where I honestly think the indie scene, anything you see in a AAA game bar loot boxes and monetization, I you could even say that started on the indie market with mobile games, with the free-to-play stuff. But most innovations you see, you go back and you follow it back, start with an indie game. 
um, and then they they been developed through there. I had more money thrown at them, and I would say a good seven to t- seven times out of ten they improve, um, and they do good stuff with it. Um, it's unfortunately the other crap that goes with it that that ruins it. But yeah, the indie game market absolutely superb. Cool. So yeah, there were two more I wanted to talk about before we moved on to. That will cap things off with Cyberpunk. The elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, there's no bigger subject than that game. Uh, this this <laughs> the entire augmented year. elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, the two absolute sort of exemplars of what you should be doing with technology. The first one is Microsoft Flight Simulator. So whether it's a game or not is is arguable. It's debatable. But by God, the way that they've way that Microsoft and the studio that created it have actually made that thing work even though it's got some coding issues and it needs high-end hardware uh, it's just phenomenal absolutely phenomenal that you just marvel at what people are capable of when you look at that and it sort of weirdly makes you proud of being a human being in a way yeah, because uh, it's just crazy. So that's that's amazing. And Star Wars Squadrons, which is brilliant in another way, that's the kind of game that I... When VR started off about four or five years ago, I was hoping that would be the model, that you could get games that weren't necessarily like top tier in looks, but looked good enough, in inverted commas, but they could be entirely playable on an, a regular screen as well. And that you would just go, oh, and it's a, there's a VR version if you have VR. And it's happened so rarely that it's really disappointing because it means that VR is, is getting left behind. And it will it's resurging in the Quest 2 because it's got no cables and it's a standalone thing. But unfortunately, that's kind of very underpowered. It's so... Yeah, it's kind of like I want more like Star Wars Squadrons, basically. Not and not just because it's Star Wars for once. So yeah, <laughs> there you go. Star Wars Squadrons is probably my most wanted game that I've not bought yet. Yeah, even though I can get that for probably just over a tenner on the Epic Store at the moment, I've still not bought it because EA Play is going to be coming to PC Game Pass at some point next year. And I know that eventually Star Wars Squadrons is going to go to it, so I kind of don't want to spend on it, but my resistance is getting tougher and tougher at the moment. <laughs> I think so- it is one you can sit on, because like, if you think about the, the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter games, they were the equivalent of, of AAA. They were made by one of the best studios in the whole world. And Star Wars Squadrons isn't. It's a, it's a much smaller, less ambitious game. It's really good fun, but it's just a bit of a blast, really. Um, it's not arcadey. It is more sim, but a uh, light sim, and there's not a lot of depth to it. So I think it's good, and it's good fun. It's kind of your typical 7 out of 10 game, really. It's not got any flaws, but it hasn't got anything that really makes it jump out. Um, but, yeah, it's worth playing, but not worth going out of your way for, perhaps. I would take a good 7 out of 10 game that is just fun, short, and maybe, I don't want to say forgettable, but one you can then just go, oh, yeah, in a few years ago, I remember that was okay, that game. I would take that over a 9s and 10s looter, or loot-based, microtransaction-filled, technically brilliant, but not actually brilliant, darling of marketing. 
any time of the oh, week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me but too, yeah. Point to note, you mentioned Microsoft Flight Simulator. And this is how a developer can really show how good they can be. Asobo Studios went from making Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, and Ratatouille for the Nintendo DS, to now making Microsoft Flight Simulator. And just what that is. It's, you know, it shows what you can do if you just do your job well. You haven't always got to make the absolute bangers. Uh, but if I look through a list of games they've worked on <clears throat> from Garfield, you've got Garfield, Ratatouille, Wooly, all different like ports, Up, Port, Fuel, which was essentially, it was a, a flawed but really interesting game, by the way. I enjoyed Fuel. Toy Story 3, absolute banger, by the way. Toy Story 3, one of the best Disney games ever made. We'll ignore the Connect games. They've done uh, Disney Connect Russian, Connect Disney World. Um, they helped with Zoo Tycoon. They made the underrated Recore, again, flawed but really good. Um, and then went on to Microsoft Flight Simulator. So it shows what you do. If you do a decent job at what you can do, you're, and you can just get those games out. None of those games are wonderful that they made previously, but they're all decent enough. They're aimed at the right markets, and they play well enough. They then got to do what is one of the most visually and technically impressive games of all time. Um, so fair play to Asobo Studios. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. So as you say, onto the augmented elephant in the room, which is Cyberpunk 2077. So you, I don't believe you've played it yet, have you? I, I will not play it, no. Yeah, oh, you're right. Okay, so um, that's interesting in and of itself. Um, but uh, so just to cover this, I'm boycotting um, the game because of the horrible crunch period that went into it and the transphobia. Um, and things like that that are in it as well. I made a decision personally. I don't care what anyone else does, and I will not judge anyone else. I personally will never play it. Yeah, fair play. So there's lots of reactions out there about the game on a, on a technical level, obviously, because it mostly doesn't work at the moment. And I don't think that's a flaw in the engine. I literally just think that it's half-baked. It's just like taking bread out the oven when it's been in there for five minutes. It's literally like that. Um, I think some people were surprised gameplay wise that it doesn't really bring up doesn't seem to bring very much new to the table now that comes back to what we were saying before about when a game is in development that long think people are going to overtake you you know they're going to do stuff that you were thinking of and i think it sounds like watchdogs has done a lot of what they were hoping to do and you know even went further than that and again some stuff in assassin's creed and stuff like that uh, is it a good game? So what I've played of it, which is not that much because it's too buggy to play. Uh, again, I got it free uh, with the console when I bought it months and months and months ago before any of the hassle kicked off. Um, just, just to interrupt there, it comes to something for shows how bad a game has fallen, how bad a company's fallen when you're having to preface <laughs> your your opinions on whatever you've done with it with a by the way i haven't paid money for this game and i wouldn't kind of thing it's that's it's quite kind of telling sometimes i think yeah well i mean yeah there's there's a lot of story behind it but yeah that basically the the game itself seems good from what i've played but it really doesn't bring very much new forward and that's disappointing so it's kind of like if it was completely slick and worked beautifully and looked gorgeous because it does look gorgeous 
then you could just be like, well, okay, it doesn't do anything spectacularly new, but it does everything that it does really well. So, you know, deserves a good mark. But unfortunately, it falls down on that. But I'm not really interested talking about that because everyone's done it. But it, most interesting is to go Uncharted. on to... Sorry? There you go. Uncharted 4. Uncharted 4 is the example that it does nothing new, but does it all look absolutely spectacular. That's how you do a game that brings nothing new to the table, but looks good. Yeah, 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 sure. But going back to your comment on the transphobia uh it's really important in you know that it's considered and everything to do with lgbtq plus people in the game and basically what it does is it it's pretty much erasure of them again so everyone was like well okay so it's been in the marketing it was the marketing in the game and then they used the marketing from the game in the real world which became a problem because then it's like fetishizing you know trans people and not giving them enough character and in the game there are this i've seen one advert for a product that was like exploiting men physically but the rest of them have been exploiting women yeah and it does fall back on that thing of it posits that the future is just going to move forward in a way and cyberpunk is is a thing where because it comes from the punk aesthetic that that means that the girls wear very little and therefore they're sexualized but that's not what punk is all about and it's not what cyberpunk was supposed to be and it co-opts that view of punk and just turns it into a you know a typical fetish of the women wear very little but they have a mohican or they have a studded collar and that's just sexualization you know there are good representations uh, of female characters in the game thus far but because they go out of their way to make it so that you can play as either male or female the characters aren't properly gendered which sounds like it should be a good thing but unfortunately it's not it's just an occlusion of stuff it's basically going uh, okay well these words could be said by anybody they could have been written by a computer you know they're, they're really plot heavy they're very law heavy and they're very they skirt around individual feelings so there's no real emotion in the game so to me that's its biggest failing and it does fall into all the traps of not representing any particular community well and arguably representing them badly no, 100%. And I heard some arguments for people going to the game going, it's very hard to represent all the communities properly and give them fair representation and, and bring them all in correctly. Um, and I look at it and go, that's not an excuse. What Cyberpunk's showing is we're still not moving on from that because what that's still trying to do is categorise people into, right, there's this one type of person, they are a hero. Um, we will give that one person the what. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll cookie cutter in Sure, you might be able to. I, mean, I don't know what the actual customization is, but sure, you can make that person a woman, and sure, you can make that person black or that person Hispanic or that person that person um, Chinese or Japanese or, or or you know whatever. And it's just cookie cutted into it. Uh, but for me, if you decide you're going to have a story where you can do that. The story's got to be written around it properly. So if you have a character and your base character's a white straight male, do you know what? Fair enough, that's what your character is. And if it works within the story, don't cookie cutter in a woman. Don't cookie cutter in a black person. Uh, don't cookie cutter in someone who may be transgender. 
Um, what you actually need to do is go, right, do we need this customization for a start? And if we do, how do we change the story? So if you're playing cyberpunk and you're going up against the police or you're trying to do certain things as a white character, you are you going to get away with more than if you are a black character? Yeah. Are the police going to react to you in the same way or do they react to you differently? If you are going to have them react in the same way, then find some way of showing how the world has moved on from what it is now, where black people are racially profiled, they are are treated differently in a negative way, they're given longer sentences for smaller crimes, etc., etc., as it is now. If that's moved on and people are equal in your game, acknowledge that in some way. And from everything I've heard about the game, and I'm not going to go too far into it and call them out, because, again, I've not played it. But from what I've seen and what I've heard so far, it is just cookie cutter and that doesn't work. And that's almost as insulting as not having them at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like where it trying to wear anti-discrimination armour by just, like you say, putting a cookie, cookie cutter, uh, you know, forms in there. So when you're walking around the city, there's lots of people of all different ethnicities. But... If you can't engage with people about their ethnicity, then there's no point of it being there. And it's it's the yeah, same with if, all of this. If they if they're going to raise a subject, they have a responsibility to address that subject and not just use it as wallpaper. Yeah, and if I'm asking my straw man here as well for those that are turning around going, but what if that games like Saints Row? They do it. That doesn't get complained for it. That gets praised for it. Right? Saints Row is like, for example, a completely over the top game. There is, I don't think, any legitimate story to that. You, you know, you can beat people with large, giant pink dildos, for example, and it's super over the top. If you're being super over the top zany and the story is completely bland, and the story in Saints Row is bland, it isn't trying to do much political. If you're doing that, then you get away with it because it is over the top. It's taking gender out of it completely it's taking color out of it completely because that does not matter in that game but games where they try and do serious uh, the last of us last of us 2 even uncharted if you can take the naughty dog examples tomb raider and you know cyberpunk if you're going to do that then you've got to address it or you go the other way and you follow saint to you go completely over the top Cyberpunk built itself up of being this important story that tells that you know that it has a message and, and things like that. And when you go that, you have got to get it right, and they didn't get it right at all. Yeah, yeah, you've got to at least try. And if you make a mistake, then you know at least you've done your best. And yeah, they, yeah, they clearly haven't. And there's even a thing. Thank you. Sorry, they knew as well. It's yeah. why, why I still maintain the reason they done that Keanu Reeves thing was because they knew they needed something to distract, and Keanu Reeves is a brilliant distraction. Yeah, quite. And they they leave on the table as well the whole uh, transhumanism thing. So they there's no kind of from what I've seen so far there's there's no kind of like discrimination between like the level of augmentations people have, which would be a, a, a really good way of just introducing bigotry and how bigotry is dealt with so you know if you had like the most expensive tech that seamlessly blended with your human body then you'd be treated better than people who had clunky mechanical arms and stuff like that they don't even go into that you know they they avoid even that level of discourse imagine imagine if there was a game out there already that you could lean upon 
you know, that maybe showed a bit of a human revolution. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I, I haven't played the second one through, but the first one, again, didn't really care about that either. It was all about... The second one did. Did it, yeah. The second one did. Uh, yeah, take out the, the, the microtransaction fuel bullshit that went into it afterwards. Um, but it, it, it kind of... But it still touched on it. I still think um, Human Revolution... Um, I can't remember what the mankind divided as well. I still think what they both did better than what cyberpunk looks to be doing is they actually address what augmentation is and what a cyberpunk style world and augmented reality actually is not perfectly. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's so many flaws within that game, but it addressed it and it tried to, whereas this it could have used on that and gone, right, this is what they did. Let's make it better. Let's expand. And they regressed. I don't see regression is the worst. <laughs> you know, that that's always the worst. If you regress something that's moved on, like what we are now. First, not the first juice expert, Human Revolution came out 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're a decade on and we've regressed in what the message was. I know. Yeah. But, uh, that's, always, that's always the worry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, especially where there's very few constraints on the, on the developer. You know they're they're kind of they've got a lot of money, very few constraints, and they can they can pretty much pursue what they want to do. And it's obvious that they wanted to, based on like the Witcher games, that they wanted to have things in there like fee, lots of female nudity, um, and they you know they've got that hedonistic view that's that comes from a purely cisgendered white male uh, about how a, a future that's supposedly dystopian but actually has a lot of things in it that they want like the ability to carry guns without being criticised the ability to ogle half-naked women you know, drive these expensive fancy cars even though nobody seems to have a proper job do you know what I mean? It's kind of like childish, immature wish fulfilment projected into lean a game into it. If you go into if you want that, lean into it Well you have to, yeah yeah, yeah. But Which it's, is again what Saints Row does but it doesn't do that at all. No, it's just, yeah, plays it straight, which is the worst thing you can do. Well, there you go. Just to, just to carry on, I mean, that, that's just the tip of the bloody iceberg as well. Well, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, what what got me, and this is the frustrating bit about, about it, no one cared about that stuff that we spoke about. Like, the wider world didn't care about that. And it was just like, oh, yeah, you're ranging, you're moaning, you're looking for things. Don't you dare attack CD Projekt Red. We've only ever had really one great game, by the way. Let's not forget that. They've only ever had one great game. Yep. But as soon as there was bugs and that affected Gamers TM, then that's when the shit really hit the fan. Because oh, you, you can you can marginalise anyone you want. You can you can be have you know politics that aren't that are pretty sus at times. As soon as you have a bug in there, no, we're not standing for that. Um, and it's kind of weird that that's what it took to really blow them out of the water. Well, it show, um, shows you what a capitalist society values the most. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, a selfish use of content that other people have sweated to produce, <laughs> basically. Um, the best thing that came out of it, they had a developers and um, management meeting after the game was released. And the developers basically called out management and asked them why they was releasing a game in a broken state and why that why they lied to the public. And the developers had said to them it wasn't ready, it wasn't ready. And they basically said, though, we need to get it out. Um, 
that the fact that your management is being called out by developers publicly as well, and that's come out pretty easily. Again, it's I don't think I've seen a reputation tanked that immediately, that quickly since Gary Glitter. Um, because they yeah. just went from being someone, maybe not Gary because he wasn't that famous to a lot of people, but Jimmy Savile. absolutely admired. Yeah, couldn't do anything wrong. Absolutely, was like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what they. I thought, oh, ugh, okay, screw CD Project. See, screw CD Project Red. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're on the floor. They will be remembered for that one great game they made, and then everything else went to shit. Because I don't know what they do next. What if your CD Project Red? What do you do next? Honestly, it's really hard. It's really difficult, especially as people have got the knives out for them and they're going to come at them financially, because they've got they've yeah. got to spend however long it takes fixing this game now instead of producing a new one. And that's do they do? And that's, Is there a Witcher four? Uh, I don't know. They they would probably be do- more comfortable going back to the well, but would they be allowed? But what do they do now? Because people look at it because one of the complaints about, not complaints, but one of the things about the Witcher world is it's very white. Yeah. So that's already been picked. People hadn't really picked that up before because it was a fantasy, fantasy world and stuff like that. But when you then look at their their politics, their sexual politics with cyberpunk, you then go back and look at the politics within um, the Witcher world. And there you look and it's very white male dominated. Um, straight white male dominated so what what yeah. do they do there do they then go right okay so we're going to introduce all of a sudden we're going to start bringing in black characters or hispanic characters or whatever into this game are we going to start bringing in people of different sexual orientations but that doesn't feel right within that witcher world but if they don't do something like that then people are going to question why they haven't brought that in but if they do bring it in people are going to be going well you've only done that because and this is not people being awkward. This is now CD Projekt Red have made a rod for their own back. They have got to redeem themselves, but I don't see how they can. I don't, yeah, I don't know how they will. I mean, I could think of a way, but it would be for them to operate as a not-for-profit for a few years, which they wouldn't be willing to do. Um, they need to fix their game and they need to focus all of their aims on that as it needs so much retooling. It's going to take, it would take three years, I think, to two two years maybe if they're quick to fix everything wrong with it uh so i don't know about the witcher license either i mean if it's not in their hands or if it's on a pay-to-play kind of deal where they only have the the rights for that game and they have to renew it each time what what's stopping uh the author just selling the rights to somebody like ea and saying you take it on you know well yeah i mean i'd rather see someone go a different way with The Witcher, rather than this big open world game. I'd like to see more personal stories made with it and stuff like that, and use The Witcher license in different ways. Um, as I said, I don't think CD Projekt Red are obviously they're open world games. That's what they make. And I, I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm the author of The Witcher 3, I, again, I don't know what their politics are, but you know, we have to assume it is a certain thing. Do they are they in line with CD Project Red? Are they in line with what they've been producing and happy with it, or are they just happy with the money that's coming from it? Or they can look at it and go, right, okay, we'll move away because we want to distance ourselves from that. It's going to be interesting. And EA, for example, um, are big enough that they can take any of the crap that gets thrown at them. Activision can take it. 
Ubisoft clearly will be able to take it, you know, everything that's been aimed at them. They're all massive and they can take all of this. I don't know if CD Projekt are. I Again, you look at those other companies, they will, they can recover. They could have recovered from this. I don't think these can recover. They haven't got a FIFA or a Call of Duty or anything to fall back on. This is their bread and butter and they've screwed it. Yes, yeah, I think unless... I think there's like it's like, it's like Doctor Strange saying there's 14 million outcomes and in only one they win and I think that's basically the situation CD Projekt Red are in at the moment. I really do because <laughs> I think it was completely hopeless for them. Yeah. I don't even Doctor Strange couldn't find the one. <laughs> Very possibly. Now they'd have to be so lucky to to emerge from it, and it does 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 partly depend on whether they own that Witcher license or not. You know. That's a lot of the import because they just, if they can fall back on that and they can escape the worst of the class action lawsuits and they can get a Witcher game out fast, they might just be okay. But that that's depending on a hell of a lot of maybes. Because it's video games, what I see them actually doing is releasing a paid DLC that goes for the old trope of, oh, it was all just a dream. This is what it's really like. I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised at all. It was only Keanu's head. Yeah, yeah. Forget Bobby Ewing in the shower. This is Keanu in the LG. Keanu on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, going, oh, oh, that was weird. They could just do it, a cutscene where he wakes up from the Matrix. <laughs> and it's. Uh... You know what? If they'd done that, I'd be all in. I'd go, do you know what? Fair play. That's leading into it. Well go. done. There you it's go. It's a trope, and it's the worst trope, but you let it We found it. their answer. That's what they need to do. Yeah. There we go. I'll, I'll take commission. It's fine. <laughs> so the very, very last thing I want to talk about, and literally just for a second, is t- uh, I played one Christmas game, which is Christmas Nights, which is pretty much the only worthwhile Christmas game there is anyway. Uh, and for those who don't know it, it's uh, one level from Nights into Dreams, uh, the Sega Saturn game that's basically given a complete Christmas overhaul at Christmas time. Uh, so given away on the magazine. It was, it? yeah, well. it was given away for free, which is astonishing. And um, it's available as an unlock on the Steam version if you want to get it. You have to complete the game, but uh, yeah, and then it unlocks. And yeah, it just turns everything in the game into into Christmas stuff. So stars become Christmas bells, and there's wreaths instead of rings, and there are Christmas trees instead of normal trees. And it's just fantastic. It, and the it's all given a all the music's given a Christmas overhaul and sleigh bells and all that crap. And, and yeah, that's, you can unlock that for free. Yes, you have to if you've got the game. Yeah, you have to complete the game. Uh, I th- so who, who do I give my money to? Who do you give your money to to play it? Yeah, I, I want to add this stuff. Yeah, I've got, I've got to give someone money. I bought the game. You're saying to me I can unlock it for free? Oh, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, no, it's not paid DLC. No, you actually get it for free. That'll never catch on. I know. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, it's wonderful. I do love Christmas nights. Well, yes. I replayed, obviously, replayed nights all the way through to, to unlock it. And it was always my favourite game of all time until Breath of the Wild. But I, I don't know. It's kind of neck and neck again now. It's just that good. Is there a, um, is there a Christmas mode in Breath of the Wild? No, not that I'm aware of. Ah, there you go, then. Yeah, that's the clincher. It's night. Yeah. A Christmas mode, just adding snow all over Breath of the Wild, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be good. But yeah, no, it's um, I, I, my Christmas game. Um, I have, I will be, but I've played a bit of Nights. I will play. Um, I will. I'm sure there's a mod that can unlock it without playing through the entire game again. There has to be. 
or a cheat code. But if not, I'll play through it all, you know. But um, I've not mentioned it, this this podcast yet. Um, so my final thing that I've been playing is some Tetris. Well, surprise. And I managed to achieve something for the first time on Tetris 99. Ooh. And I didn't realise it's the first time I've done it. Go on. Um, I've, got, I've, I've racked up over 300-odd wins on the game. I've had my finishing the top 10 10 times in a row and stuff like that. And but I've never had until last night three wins in a row, which is a unlocks a, a badge within the game. Um, and I got that for the first time. But it also coincided with me playing for the last three four weeks with really poor vision and having to like almost play it through a blurry cloud. Yeah, but my vision kind of improved over the last couple of days. So I started playing it again, and yeah, I just wiped the floor with people. And I was like, yes, awesome. So. Absolutely brilliant. Great at Tetris. I've been playing that and I managed to get for the first time on the new Puyo Puyo Tetris. I've got my time to under two minutes on sprint. So it's all looking good in Tetris world. That's your Tetris update for the week. Nice. <laughs> yeah, like you said, we need to have a little bumper, like a little musical bumper that we play when you talk about Tetris. We'll see if we can get one yeah. together. What's that thing they do in the in-betweeners every time he talks about Carly? Yeah. Not hit me in the balls, the little noise that they make. We need that for a Tetris update. Very cool. Yeah, so anything else that you wanted to mention? No, not really. It's Well, um, I know you'll probably mention this uh, with the Discord, but we've not really covered any of the mental health stuff today because it's like a, a Christmas special, so we wanted to shit on the games industry. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an easy time for people. Bizarrely for me personally... This is turning into one of the better Christmases that I've actually enjoyed. Um, I know the world's going to shit and people are like worried about, you know, the way it's all being handled and Christmas being cancelled, inverted commas. But I've actually looked forward to this, being able to put a smile on my kids' faces and I've not had Christmas rammed down my throat. So I've kind of really enjoyed and I'm really looking forward to this Christmas break for the first time in years. I'm lucky. And I know a lot of people will be feeling the opposite. They'll be struggling because they are missing loved ones because it is different. And it's just another thing to worry about on top of what's gone previously. Um, and I get that. We are here. If you want to talk, Stu will go through in a minute the options there are. But we are here. We will listen. Uh, there's loads of us who will give you answers. We're not professionals, but we have ears and we will listen. We will listen. If you just need someone to talk to, we are there. Whether it's today as you're listening to this, whether it's tomorrow, Christmas Day, whether it's New Year's or just any given Wednesday, you know, whatever, whatever day it is, we are there to listen. The community's there to listen. Um, it's why I started this in the first place, mainly for me, because I wanted people who could listen to me and to know that I'm there to listen to people as well. It's why I started this and it's grown. And don't ever be ashamed. If you're feeling in a bad place for whatever reason, it could be you fucked up. You, you, you've you gone and fucked up. That could be the case. We all fuck up at some point. And if you need someone to talk to, you're not always going to get the, it's not your fault. You might get the, yeah, you did, but it happens. What can we do to help? What can others do to help? Or even if you need somewhere to think, we're there for you. Please don't ever be ashamed of anything that you're feeling and know that there are people who have been through it 
people who are going through it and there are people who will not judge you for it. They will be there for you. Yeah, well said. The only thing to add to that is, uh, well, not much really, just that like and subscribe as usual to get hold of us. If you go onto our Discord, we've got a, a space on there where you can get in touch with us to request a call if you'd like, or we can just chat online. If you need us, just get in touch and we'll sort that out. We'll sort out the practicalities. The important thing is that, we, we, as Brad said, we're there for you. Link to that is on our website, which is obviously mentalhealthgaming.com. And other than that, have a great Christmas. Take care and stay safe. <laughs>